We'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 9 this morning. David went to Nob, to Elimelech the priest. Elimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered, Elimelech the priest, The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us. As usual, whenever I set out, the men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, the Edomite. Saul's head shepherd. David asked Elimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Thank you, Greg. Well, good morning. It's April 15th today. Just a reminder, this is a day that is famous for what? Lying. What? (laughs) IRS Oversight Board says of Americans, 20%, 20% say they approve of cheating on their income taxes. They approve of that. Then there's a bunch who don't approve, but they do it anyway, right? I heard this uh, story recently by, about a guy named Jim Wilson. And Jim had a, uh, had a boat and a boat trailer that he wanted to, to get rid of, to sell. He needed to sell it because he was financially uh, in a bind and he had some medical expenses. And the problem was it was winter time. But he listed the boat anyway. And sure enough, uh, amazingly, uh, this guy shows up and says, I want to buy your boat and trailer, and I'll give you full price for the boat and trailer. And and, and Jim is just overwhelmed, and and he's so uh, relieved. But the guy says this, listen, here's what I need you to do. Uh, On the bill of sale, will you put uh, half the price of what you're asking uh, for the sale of this? Because that's what we do in these parts. Jim was a follower of Jesus Christ. Jim needed the money like no other. And so he wrestled before the Lord. What do I do? It's the middle of winter time. How how am I ever going to get this boat sold? Here's a guy offering me full price. But Jim said, you know what? I'm sorry I can't do that. I'm a Christian. 
and I don't feel that that's right, and plus it's breaking the law, and I just don't feel good about that. So I'm sorry, I know you probably don't want the boat. The guy looked at him and he said, you know what, I'll still take the boat. Paid him full price. This morning, as we look at the scriptures, we're going to look at the life of David and where he begins to enter in and struggling with sin, and especially in the area of lying, and how for all of us, even as followers of Jesus Christ, how that is something that we face so often. I think, really, if you're honest with yourself, every day, probably, the temptation comes to lie in some way or another. could be a little lie, could be a very big one. But we are tempted to lie. And David is hard-pressed, and we see a life that is a man after God's own heart, yet he falls into and struggles with lying in this chapter. Chapter 21, we find David's fleeing for his life, and he's left his dearest friend, Jonathan, whom he really loved, and we find him at a point that we've never really seen him before, and he's, he's at a place where everything has been stripped away from him. Everything's been taken. Everything that had value and, and was good. He no longer has a home to call his own. He's not able to be with his wife because he's on the run. Jonathan, his good friend. His authority over the armies of Israel, all stripped away because Saul is at war with David, and he's out to kill him and to take his life. And he will run away from this threat. And we find David, for the next 10 to 12 years, that he is the anointed king to be, and he's in the desert for the next 10 years. He's hiding out. Isn't that an interesting journey for our hero of faith? And one of the things I think it brings to light for all of us is that this Christian journey of ours, the Lord takes us right into the desert. And it really is a place that we are at often. And I know some of you have been, like King David, in the desert for 10 years. But the other thing that it shows us is that God is faithful in the desert. That God does amazing work with us when we're hiding out in a cave. That God is refining us and conforming us into his image and that God is ever-present. And we're foolish to think that somehow, because we're followers of Christ, that we don't end up in this desert place. Because all of our heroes of faith, they're there and they went right through it. But God is faithful. And it will be the same for you and me. David's on the run. He runs to a city called Nob. What an awful name for a city. I wouldn't want to be from there. I was looking up, and USA Today had, had names of just uh, of funny cities, and here's just a couple of them. Uh, Tightwad, Missouri, uh, for all of you who are that way. <laughs> Bug Tussle, Oklahoma. Uh, Looneyville, New York, which I thought might be appropriate in Looneyville. But how would you like to be from Nob? Just kind of a crazy name. David, David's on the run. He runs to the city. And let me show you a few images. Sorry they're not super clear, but I want to give you just a map, a general idea as he runs to Nob. Do you guys have that for me? There we go. So Nob, Nob is over here. Uh, you can see the big arrow pointing to it. 
And he runs, it's, it's, between, it's between Gibeah of Saul, right in the middle, and that's where Saul was headquartered. David's running from there and from Jerusalem. And he runs right into the middle there uh, on the flea. Now, let me show you a modern-day picture of what we think is the area of Nob. And again, unfortunately, not super clear. But if you can see just to your right here is, is the center of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. There's the Dome of the Rock with the gold. Just to the east... Of, of the Dome of the Rock is in that green area is the Mount of Olives. Okay? And the Mount of Olives where Jesus went and prayed often. And then just to the north, northeast, a little bit up, is what's called Mount Scopus. Today, that's where, where Hebrew University is. Mount Scopus is the area where the Romans camped out in AD 70, looking over the city before they destroyed it. And what we believe today is that area of Mount Scopus is where the area of Nob was. And what happened is, is Shiloh was destroyed. That was the area of worship. That's where the tabernacle was. But when Shiloh was destroyed, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was taken over to this area, Nob. And I want to show you the tent of meeting that we have. And this is a, an actual sized replication of that. So the tent of meeting, which was in the desert, was taken over to Nob, and that's where worship was taking place, and that's where the priests were. And so David shows up. He's on the run. He shows up into the city of Nob, and he, and he encounters Ahimelech, and he says, listen, here's what's going on. Give me some bread. And Ahimelech says, no, I don't have, I don't have any ordinary bread. We just have the bread of presence, which is what the priest offered to the Lord. And that was given weekly to the Lord. And that was only for the high priest to be able to eat from. The laws were very clear. Nobody touches this bread but the high priest. And this is the bread that's given to King David as he's on the run. David heads off that way. He receives this bread of presence, but he goes about and he receives it in a way that is very deceptive. He tells lies about what's going on. And he enters into a, a struggle with being truthful and of trusting in the Lord. You know, the thing with David, and I think it's true for us, David started out in the right direction, I think. Listen, I'm under attack. Saul is about to wipe me out. And so I am going to flee to Nob, the city where the priests are. The city where, where they are worshiping the Lord. That's a good direction to run, isn't it? When you're under attack, I will flee to the presence of the Lord there. And I will go and I will find sanctuary there. And I will go and, and be encouraged in the Lord at the place where the priests are. I think he starts off in the right direction. And I think, you know what, for most of us who have a heart like David's, a heart to, to draw after God, to, to grow in the Lord, to be like our Lord, to be obedient to him, I think we start off that way. When we're under attack, when we're struggling through life, when we're in the desert. And then all of a sudden, we get derailed a little bit. He shows up. He goes in. He encounters Ahimelech. And then he, he engages in a full-blown lie. Now some say, well, was it really a lie? Different commentators, and I need you to understand there's some different perspective on this passage. Some commentators say, well, listen, this is war. And therefore, 
because it's war, David is really, he's just not offering all the truth about what's going on. It would be like Corey Ten Boone and the Germans come in and they say, hey, listen, do you got any Jews in the house? No, we don't have any. Was that a lie? Yeah, it was a lie. But was she preserving life, which is more valuable to God? Absolutely. And so they say, well, listen, David, who's being under attack, and he has, and we don't really know, we don't really know how many people were with him, but people were with him. We'll find in Mark chapter 2, and even here, Ahimelech refers to the men where they kept pure, right? So, hey, King David, anointed king, uh, on the run, he is preserving life. And so therefore, this is a good thing. They also say, well, listen, as he's going in, he actually is a reflection of godliness that the fact that Ahimelech gave him the bread of presence has a reflection of David, the high priest. You know, David has always been a type of Christ, and we know the lineage the lineage of David leads to our Savior. And so the, the commentators say, this is very spiritual, this encounter and the bread of presence and, and everything is so spiritual. And David's reflecting the high priest. And so this is actually not really lying in what's going on here. And as you study the New Testament and you go to Mark chapter 2, what happens in Mark chapter 2, if you remember, the disciples are with Jesus and they're cruising along and it's Sabbath time. And they're getting hungry. And so they pick some, some kernels of uh, grain and they start to, to work it and they get the grain from that. And they start eating it and the, and the Pharisees are like, wait a second, why are you doing that which is unlawful on the Sabbath? And in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, hey listen, don't you remember what David did with Ahimelech? Don't you remember what took place there? And that he gave bread to those who were with him. And that's what's more important. Now here's the interesting thing about Mark chapter 2 and and why I struggle with this comparison of this is an okay action that David took. One, Jesus is not talking about the actions that David took to get the bread. He's talking about legalism. He's talking about how the Pharisees are are valuing the law above life. He's like, listen, you guys know exactly what happened with King David. Ahimelech, the high priest, knew that it was more valuable for David to have this bread and to preserve life. And he gave it to him versus the Levitical law, which was very clear, this is only for the high priest. So Jesus never condones the actions David took. So you wrestle with these two things going on. Wait a sec, what took place here at Nob? I really think the authorial intent of this whole passage is to show us King David, anointed to be king, a man after God's own heart, is starting to fail. He's struggling in his faith journey. But he's a man after God's own heart. But he struggles in his journey. I think the author is trying to show us, listen, in all of our faith journey, here's part of the problem, is we we start running away, we start ending up in fear, and then we turn to sin, which we think will somehow, a lie, will somehow preserve our lives. And David struggles with it. 
And I think what the passage is trying to show us is David is broken like we all are, even though he's a man after God's own heart, and that he fails. And how can we, who desire to run to the place of the Lord, who desire to be obedient, how can we avoid being drawn into the sin of lying like David was? How can we stay away from that which is so destructive in our lives? And pointing us that the Lord is with us in the middle of times when we're hard-pressed, when we feel and we're tempted to lie. He started in that right direction, like we do. But David's brokenness, and really what led to the line is what? Fear. Fear for his life. And that's what moves us, isn't it? To lie. We fear uh, our reputation. We fear that, that we might hurt someone else's feelings. We fear that we'll be found out. We don't want people to know that we actually fail. And so we cover ourselves with lies so that people don't know that I didn't do it right. We often and most often end up lying because we are drawn and we are overtaken by fear. And I think what this passage wants to show us is will we return to a place where we are learning to trust God right in the middle of the circumstance and not be consumed by fear but that our faith in our faithful covenant God will keep growing. I think one of the things with lying, and, and you're probably the same as I am, one of the things with lying is we sort of take it lightly, don't we? You will find yourself, and I find myself, where we just, we, we throw out enough little lies and we sort of get away with them that we think, well, it's not that big of a deal. That it doesn't do that much damage. I mean, come on. Who's it really hurting? And I think that's the big deception for all of us, is that lying is not that big of a thing. And ultimately, I mean, really, is it harming that many people? Here's the truth about sin and the sin of lying. It always takes us further than we ever wanted to go. You think you just started with a little white lie and what big deal, and next thing you know, it just snowballs and it goes on. And that's what we find with David's sin. He tells this lie to Ahimelech, and Jackson's going to teach about all the priests get wiped out because of this lie that took place. Consequence. There's consequence for our sin. Just this week in the sports section, this is about Coach Bobby Petrino, who was coach for the Arkansas Razorbacks. And he was fired as coach in the... The deal was, is Bobby Petrino decided, hey, I'm going to have a little affair on the side. And then not only that, I'm going to have an affair, but I'm going to bring this woman into my office where I'm going to pay her. And all kinds of stuff. And he, and he just tried to cover all the stuff with one lie after another. Athletic directors and everybody tried to approach him on it and gave him opportunity to kind of lay it all out there. He kept telling more and more lies. And so before the whole world and front page of everybody's sports section... It's this. In short, Coach Petrino engaged in a pattern, a pattern of misleading, of manipulation. And he manipulated and he lied to me and he lied to the members of the athletic staff. And, and we gave him opportunity to confess. 
He made the decision to mislead the public, and it has greatly affected the university and its football program. Bobby Petrino entered into some actions that were lies and some actions that were sinful in his relationship with this other person. And he says this, All I've been able to think about is the number of people I've let down by making my selfish decisions. I chose to engage in improper relationships, and I made several poor decisions that have affected me. Lying has incredible consequence. He's lost everything. His reputation as a coach, his reputation as a man, husband, everything stripped from him. Yeah, but what's the big deal? Sin takes us further than we ever, ever wanted to go. Now, you've got to understand something. David was incredibly successful. He kept having victory over the Philistines, right? And Saul kept sending him out to go fight the Philistines, hoping, hoping that he would get killed by the Philistines. But David just kept having more and more success. So he goes out and he fights the Philistines. Everybody, remember the scriptures say, everybody loved David. He had all of these great victories, just like Coach Petrino. All these battles. But now David's life is at a place, everything is gone. That's pretty isolating. That's pretty lonely. Everything's been stripped away. And so as we enter into the scene where he shows up before Ahimelech, it's a scene that's packed with emotion. Look at what it says, verse 1. He went to Nob to Ahimelech, the high priest. Ahimelech did what? He trembled when he met him. And he asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? One of the first indications why I believe this passage is about David's brokenness and not about this good spiritual thing that was happening, this powerful spiritual thing, is because of Ahimelech. If this is of the Lord... Why in the world would the high priest be trembling? It's an indicator that something's wrong here. Something is amiss. And Ahimelech is fearful of what's going down. What's David doing? He's not with his normal you know, men that he leads. I haven't gotten word that there's something going on where he needed to come here. He shows up and he puts Ahimelech in a place where he is shaking and not understanding what's going on. And I think this is the beginning at this scene right here as Ahimelech enters in with him where when he starts to question David, I think this is where we start to see the failings of King David. That he enters into fearful protection mode and he does that by lying. And I think this is the case for you and me and, and what we see in David. I don't think David showed up to Nob with this intent, like I've got this whole plan laid out on how I'm going to lie to the high priest and how I'm going to deceive him in order for me to keep moving on. I don't think he showed up that way. And I think that's the case for you and me, isn't it? I think what happened is David shows up, he's on the run, he's, he's scared for his life, he takes off, he gets before Ahimelech, he's hungry, and his men are hungry, and all of a sudden, Ahimelech's like, what's going on, David? And he's getting pressed. And he's getting pressed. And I think that's what happens to you and me. And I don't think he had a story ready to go. 
And so what does he do? Out of fear, instead of relying and, and going to faith in God, out of fear, he makes up this amazing story. I'm a part of Mission Impossible here, is what he says. Hey, I'm on this secret mission. The king has asked me to do this. Totally top secret, Ahimelech. Listen, here's what I got to do. So don't tell anybody, but we're, I mean, this is a big deal. And so we're here, and we're camping out, but we, you know, give me some bread. And he just tells us this amazing, weaves together this amazing story that's just a lie. And he deceives Ahimelech. And Ahimelech responds to him. But I appreciate the story because I think it shows, it shows David's humanity, what you and I face. I think it shows his weakness. And I think it's a question for all of us. How do you respond when you're hard-pressed? When all of a sudden you know you might lose the sail of the boat, how do you respond in the, in the middle of the moment? Do we tell a little white lie? And we like to call it that, don't we? Because we don't want to tell a big black lie, a little white lie. Or do we trust God that he preserves our life, that he is our defender, that he's the one who has our life? What's it been like for you on this journey? Because the Lord is calling us out of this, this way, this habit for some of us of lying because it's destructive and it takes us to places that really do, they lead to death. Everything gets stripped from us. And you destroy all these beautiful relationships you have. And you destroy everything that you dreamed of because you thought, well, it's the big deal. And I think God's showing us through this story that it's a big deal and that God has a way out for us because we have a God who empowers us through his Holy Spirit to be free from sin like this. We have a God who has died on the cross for us to be free from sin like this because he wants to bring us life. Do we stress the truth or do we trust in our Lord? Because here is the deal. Every day, I think, you and I are faced with a temptation to lie in some degree or another. Just in July of this year, there was a man who, uh, he lived in Chicago, and he's in downtown Chicago, and he shows up at a Walgreens. And he goes to the ATM in the Walgreens, and he has a Coke with him, sets his Coke on the floor, and he does his business with the ATM, gets his money out, and he leans down to grab his Coke. And as he does that, he looks down, and there is a bag down there, and it has the bank logo, Chase Banking Company. And the video cameras have all this. And the video cameras, they see the man, he gets his Coke, he looks, and then he does this. Looks around, and you see him sort of drop down, and he picks up the bag, and he walks out of the Walgreens. 45 minutes, he drives out to his hometown in Rolling Meadows, and he gets out there, and along the way, something happens to him. Whether he knows, like, oh my gosh, the video camera has probably caught me. Uh, whether, whether it's about, uh, he wants to, you know, realize that this is not a good thing. But he decides, I'm going to turn the money in. 
So he goes into a mall in Rolling Meadows into a Chase uh, banking outlet, and he, and he gives the money. There's $17,000 in there. Okay, a lot of money for the average person. 17000 bucks. Turns it in. Next thing you know, this guy is all over the morning shows. I mean, he's receiving high praise from everybody. He, he's, he's getting gift baskets. Women are wanting to marry this guy. You know, I mean, it's just going on and on. And, and all this stuff's happening. And then as the police were investigating this a little more, they're going through the police report a little more closely, and they read this. Uh, yes, I found the money uh, in Rolling Meadows, which is where he lives. And he lied on the police report. He found it in downtown Chicago at the Walgreens. He says he found it in Rolling Meadows at the Chase Banking there. And you go, you go, what did he just do? You know, and all of a sudden, then he gets, because he lied on the police report, he gets fined $500 for lying on the police report. The woman he was going to marry left him, you know. <laughs> but he loses everything, his whole reputation, everything that was good and beautiful about that, because he felt like he needed to lie on the police report, because, you know what, I did take the money for 45 minutes, and I held on to it. And when he's asked about that, he said, well, you know, I've got to be honest, I was kind of thinking this could pay a lot of bills for me. And uh, I, he goes, I guess my humanity got a hold of me. Oh, yeah, it did. It did. The temptation to steal, to lie was there, and he fell into it. And he didn't need to, did he? And I think that's the case with King David. Did King David need to lie to Ahimelech? I don't think so. But he was feeling pressed. He wasn't feeling like, Lord, you're going to be the one who's going to protect me here. He struggled with who God was in the middle of the moment. And David entered into lying. For some reason, he stopped trusting God. And I think that's what happens for us. For some reason, when we're pressed against the wall and we think we've got to preserve ourselves somehow here, whether it's our reputation, our lives, whatever it is, that we stop trusting. We don't believe God's going to be faithful like he has been. But the Lord is moving us and wants to move us out of that. The Lord wants us to be truthful. Why? Because he's truth. Because he is truth. It is I who no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. He's truth. Here's what the scriptures say in Isaiah. I have not spoken in secret, the Lord says. From somewhere in the land of darkness, I haven't come out of that place. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right, says the Lord. David and you and me seem to forget God's faithfulness. It's such a contrast to the scene that took place before. Do you remember David is on the run and Saul's coming after him and David flees to the city of Ramah. Do you remember what's there? city of Ramah was the place of the prophets. That's where Samuel was. And when he's under attack and when he's hard-pressed, he runs there to the place of prophets. 
a place of godliness. Again, a good thing. And when he gets there, he shows up, and Saul is sending his men out to wipe David out. And what happens? The men show up, and they're just about to come to attack, and the scriptures say, and the Holy Spirit came upon these men, and they ended up prophesying in the Lord. They couldn't do a thing. Saul is totally frustrated. He thinks, well, I've got to get the job done myself. So he goes out there to kill David. And Samuel's before him. And even before he gets to Samuel, the Holy Spirit just crushes Saul with the power of the Spirit. Saul strips off his clothes. He lays prostrate before, the, before Samuel. And he prophesies in the Lord. Can't touch David. Can't even move. All he can do is prophesy. When you study the scriptures in that passage... David's name isn't even mentioned. And it's a great reminder to us. It's, hey, guess what? David had nothing to do with this victory. I used Samuel and the power of God defended you, David. I am with you, David. I am the one who is your defender. I am the one who will fight for you. I am the one who will protect you. I am the one who will preserve you. I am your covenant God. And I cannot break my covenant. I have anointed you to be king. Trust me for your life. That happened in Ramah. And David trusted the Lord. But as along the journey, somehow he lost sight. And just like you and me, we get derailed. And God's calling us back to that place. Don't forget how I've been faithful to you. You don't need to fudge on your taxes. Remember how I, I covered you financially a while back when money was tight? I'm going to do the same. Don't you know you're so much more valuable than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? Don't you know? God is a faithful God. And we don't need to enter into lying to preserve ourselves. David flees to Ramah and he's protected. And when he flees to Nob, he is forgetful and he's living in fear rather than faith. Look at verse 9 and how he lost, he lost his trust. He started to trust in other things. David said, as in speaking about the sword of of Goliath. There is none like it. Give it to me. Basically saying, my rescuer, my resource will be this incredible sword of Goliath. Look at it. It is everything. Give it to me. That'll be my source. He lost sight of who God was. David was moving in to a place of fear. And I think the thing that's beautiful about our Lord is that God, God, in all of his grace, he still provides for David, doesn't he? He provides him with bread, the bread of presence, that which is holy. He provides him with the sword. God is still with him in this journey. I think what it shows us is this. It doesn't mean that there won't be consequence for David's sin. It does not mean that. Because there is. Doeg wipes out the priests in the next chapters. 
But what it does mean is that God doesn't just, just dismiss us for our failings. You know, you and I are going to fall short. And God doesn't just say, well, it was good running the race with you, but you messed up, and so you're on your own. But he does call us back into righteousness, calls us back into holiness. But he doesn't dismiss us for our failings. And with King David, in the desert, he's going to do a great work with us. And he wants us to still be part of his kingdom work, and he wants us to still receive life in him. He doesn't just throw us out because we failed. He does want us to take our sins seriously. He does want us to confess our sin before the Lord. Praise God he died on the cross for our sin. Because the truth is, we are forgiven our sin. If we confess our sin to him, he is quick to forgive. But let's not just keep going, well, it's just a little lie. It's not that big of a deal. Take it to the Lord. Let's trust him for what he has for us. That he is full of truth that he will protect us, that he will cover us financially, that he will cover our reputation, he will cover our life. Let's not make light of it. Every day we're faced with this stuff. I was just at, two days ago, I was just at Played Against Sports with my son Josh. We were going there, Josh is an awesome baseball player. And we were going there, he's a catcher, and, and we were going there to get him some knee pads for his catching. And Josh... Uh, goes in there. We're looking for these specific ones. There were 30 bucks. We'd seen them before, and I didn't really want to spend more than 30 bucks. But we couldn't find them. And so all they had was these, these $60 ones. You know, I was like, ah, I just, too much. So the young man comes, and he comes and helps me out, and he says, hey, listen, uh, you know what? If, if these ones work, listen, I'll give you 25% off of, of these ones so that maybe it can fit your price range a little bit better. I go, well, hey, thanks. I appreciate that. So Josh tried them on, and, and, he, and, he, and he does that, and gets them on, and, and they don't fit very well. And so we're like, ah, oh, bummer. But as we're going through the rack, we find the ones that we were actually looking for, the $30 ones. And we're like, sweet. Well, thank you, Lord. So we bring them up. The manager, the main manager of the place, had overheard my conversation with this other uh, salesman there. And, and he comes over, and he said, oh, I heard uh, he's giving you 25 bucks off these, uh, off these shin guards, off these knee pads. Yeah, it was just like this. It was like this moment of silence. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I go, actually, he was going to give me uh, 25% off the more expensive ones. And the manager said, thank you, pastor. <laughs> he had, he had see, I, I did a little deal and I was on TV for a moment and he saw me on TV. He knew I was a pastor. We do not lie because God is of truth. And God wants us to reflect his glory because he is truth. You see, lying overtakes us. Lying consumes us. Sometimes we get so much in the habit of lying, we don't even know what's real anymore. And God is saying, would you turn that over to me? Because it will consume us. In Jeremiah 9... God says of lying, listen, all of the people, and I want you to read this later on your own, the full chapter, but he's saying, they're shooting arrows, they're full of lies at each other. There is not one person that you can trust in your clan. Every one of them 
is a deceiver. Every one of them is a slanderer. Friends deceive friends. Nobody speaks the truth. You live in the midst of deception and they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord, Jeremiah 9. Every one of them. Their whole life is deception. We don't want to be controlled and consumed by lying. We don't want to be, when we're tempted, to just fall into that. We want to have a heart like God's that reflects the glory of God's. Because when we lie, we reflect the enemy, Satan. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 8. Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We don't want to reflect the enemy, but live in truth. And here's the deal, gang. God, like Josh prayed this morning, we have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to deliver us when we're tempted by that sin to lie. You say, right in the middle of the moment, right in the middle of the moment, Lord, help me, please. I really need that money from the sale of that boat, and you know I need it. And I'm tempted to put the bill of sale at half the price. Father, help. And your covenant God will empower you to step out of that. Your covenant God, my covenant God. He will be your defender and he will be your provision. The Lord wants us to be truth tellers. And so he says, put on in Ephesians 4, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And therefore each of you must, through the power of the Holy Spirit, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. For we are all members of one body. And so this morning, we are called and reminded to live lives that are full of truth, that we're speaking truth to one another, that we reflect who God is, and that when we sin, when we lie, that we confess our sins to the Lord, praise God for the cross, and praise God for His resurrection, because He is quick to forgive so that we might live in obedience and that we might live in righteousness and that we might be truth-tellers. Let us be truth-tellers. So when your wife says to you, Honey, do these jeans make me look fat? What are you going to do? Run away. (laughs) You will preserve your life. (laughs) Amen.